Greg Schaefer. Welcome to the Virtual CISO Moment. A couple weeks back, I had the opportunity to speak at InfoSec Nashville 2019, one of my favorite conferences out there as far as information security goes. And I uh, had the opportunity to talk about the uh, virtual CISO, the rise of the virtual CISO, uh, which I touched on some aspects about what a virtual CISO does and does not do, some of the differences between uh, a virtual CISO and a full-time CISO, and some of the challenges and some of the opportunities. Now, this video has got a, a couple of technical problems with regards to the audio and the video, uh, so which I apologize for, but um, the content's there. Uh, and I think you'll find it valuable, so uh, check it out. But I might talk a little fast because I really get excited about being a virtual CISO. This was the best career move I ever made. Like I said, I've been doing this a long time. The last two and a half years has been basically a dream. So I'm here to talk a little bit about the differences between a, a, what, a, what a CISO is, what a virtual CISO is, and then the differences between the two and, and, um, and really to garner discussion or, or uh, uh, any questions that you might have about the field in and of itself. So the first CISO, Steve Katz, if I got the name right, back in the 90s for Citibank, Citicorp, that was originally a risk management position, and it migrated a little bit more over time towards being more of an IT position, and unfortunately, um, I don't believe that it should be an IT position. Obviously, there needs to be um, connectoids between the two. You've all heard this debate beforehand. I like to frame it a little bit more in the terms of three lines of defense. So first line of defense being operational management, second line being risk management, third line being audit. And so first line would be IT, uh, also your IT security control administrators, so working on firewalls and uh, vulnerability assessments and so forth. And then second line is your risk management. That's where the CISO falls. So, and then, of course, audit makes sure that we're all being honest about it. Um, it's a business. It's a business position, a business risk, risk position. You hear this all the time as well, too. It's 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 very important for the business to understand their risks. We're going to talk a little bit more about information security risks in just a few minutes. Um, and when you talk about organizational location for a CISO. Uh, it really is dependent upon, in my opinion, the um, culture of the organization and um, what really works. Now, again, I'm going to be uh, intentionally biased at first against it being in IT because you can have conflict of interest there. Uh, IT needs to make sure that the lights are running, the bits and bytes are flowing and so forth. Security sometimes becomes not an enabler, but a speed bump or even worse. But it works in some organizations, so it really is whatever is appropriate. Again, purpose of a CISO is to manage risk. We've already talked about that, talked a little bit about the three lines of defense and how that's important to the organizational fit for the CISO. The other thing that's very important with regards to the CISO, and this um, it does dovetail with the, um, uh, making sure that there's no conflict of interest, and that's the separation of duties. So what we see a lot now in some organizations, particularly in the finance sector, is that um, auditors and examiners are not very happy with the fact that the information security officer of the bank for, for a financial institution is reporting up to or even is part of the same person as the CIO or the equivalent, whatever it's within the organization. Um, I should step back just a moment, too, because I forgot to mention that when I talk about CISO um, as a position, 
that's sort of like a blanket term for the most senior information security executive within the organization. So they might be called director of information security or what have you. Or Again, and what made me remind me of that is that in banking, it's pretty prevalent to call the, um, the equivalents there the information security officer. Uh, sometimes they use CISO, sometimes they don't. Now, we all know about these. And that's something that the, the good CISO is going to be in their position to simply make sure that we have compliance to the regulations. I'm not going to run through the whole compliance versus security thing. Point being that you have to understand as a CISO, as a business enabler, what regulations fall underneath your auspice and your responsibility. So now we're going to kind of get a little bit into from, now that we've had a summary about the CISO, and I probably just parroted things that you guys already know all about. Um, I'm going to start talking a little bit about the virtual CISO and why this is becoming a very important field for small and mid-sized businesses. And to start that, I like to frame it with a context to um, understand what I mean by small or mid-sized business. So, um, and this is not hard numbers here, but from my perspective and the clients I work with, you're talking typically no more than 300, 350 employees, uh, annual revenue of more than 100 million. And so why is that? Why, why would I think that there would have to be a cap here? Because once you start to get above that, and again, it's, it's, it's really um, dependent upon the organization, but once you start to get above that, you're going to have the companies are going to be large enough that they're going to have the budgets to bring in a full-time information security officer. So that's sort of like the over-under. It certainly is very variable. I have the 260k up here. That's actually a little bit higher. What that is is, uh, as of salary, as of recently, Salary.com's uh, estimate nationwide for full-time CISO salary bonus, all the annual compensation stuff, uh, floats just above $270,000. Now that's obviously location and and organization dependent. But even in the Nashville area. It's about $200,000. So there's a, uh, that's a significant investment there. But what I have found, and I'm sure you found to be in a virtual video, is that you can provide effective information security. You can effectively fill the information security role for the organization and not necessarily have to be there full time because workloads less, the uh, touch points are less, the networks are smaller. There's a whole bunch of things that are small. So this is a wonderful um, combination of, of need and, and now um, the supply out there because the virtual CISO is becoming a very popular career field to dive into. Again, like I said, it's really nothing new. We've had fractional um, uh, CFO, I think the fractional CFO, CIOs, uh, the difference between fractional and virtual in my mind is that virtual is just that, pretty much working across the internet, um, very few times coming on site. It's still going to be necessary every now and then. Um, the other thing that a virtual CISO does uh, to help with small and mid-sized businesses is that some don't even need to have them ongoing all the time. They, need, um, well, for example, I took a call this morning that they, they really, they're going about it the right way. I love it. Um, they're interested in understanding what they don't know. So they want to have a risk assessment done first. And that can vary depending upon uh, industry and depth of their organization and 
quite honestly, how far that they want to dig down, because you all know, everybody who's done a risk assessment, you could keep on going forever and keep on drilling, but at some point in time, you got to find that pragmatic stopping point. So that would be a project. Um, ongoing would be a virtual CISO support for a, a certain um, amount of work determined per month, uh, depends on the client. So elements about a virtual CISO that are different from a, from a full-time CISO. The first and most important one I think to understand is that the virtual CISO is a consultant. So one of the most prevalent questions I get asked about with regards to being a virtual CISO is about liability. And the first thing I come back with is saying, I'm not an officer of the company. I am a consultant. Now, that doesn't excuse me from performing my duties in a, a uh, professional, reasonable manner, making sure I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. But when all is said and done, the company who contracts for the virtual CISO still maintains that responsibility. In other words, flip it around to the company side, they're not offloading their information security responsibility. Just like if you, we have that same uh, line of talk reasoning when we have data going to the cloud. You can't offer the responsibility to protect it. It's, it's part-time. Now, some folks might have a little bit of a, a difference of opinion of this, but I think that there's fundamentally a difference between a virtual CISO who's part-time, in my mind, and an interim CISO who may be full-time. Um, and that's one thing that our organization actually shies away from. We will not do interim full-time uh, CISOs, even if they're virtual. Um, it becomes more like we're stepping into being a, an employment CISO broker type deal, and we don't want to step down that path. Uh, I think that a virtual CISO has to have had experience as a CISO, period, uh, in some way, shape, or form. I have to say, I've been to uh, presentations beforehand from MSSPs talking about their virtual CISO platform, their service, and all of that, and yet the person presenting, who is the virtual CISO from the organization, is really nothing more than, a, than an IT manager. And there's nothing wrong with being an IT security manager. I'm not, I'm not saying anything bad about that. But if you have never worked with a CISO before, you don't understand the... You can't bring to your clients the wealth of experience from what you learned as being a CISO for an organization, no matter the size or what have you. Um, and that, you, you can't, it, it's not an IT security director position, and, and it's not an IT position. This call that I talked about this morning, again, uh, one of the topics that I emphasized was three lines of defense. That is my go-to when explaining the difference between what um, an IT security director does and what a CISO does. And again, pretty much works remote. I've got an office down in Franklin, right on the square. Beautiful place down there. Um, and uh, most of my time, I'm just spending uh, working with clients, doing um, WebExes or, or those types of meetings. Virtual CISO can help an SMB, small, mid-sized business, in a variety of ways. The first is to stand up and manage an information security management system. So a lot of times, small and mid-sized businesses, they'll come to me. Their first thing is that they know that they need to have something done. And a lot of times, it's, it's externally driven. And not necessarily because of a compliance deal, but because of a customer deal, a business deal, where the business, their potential customers are producing questionnaires. Every company seems to have their own different questionnaire um, to measure the effectiveness of the company that eventually calls me. They don't know what to do with these questionnaires. What is the security program they're talking about? Well, we have an acceptable use policy. Isn't that good enough? Well, not quite. 
um, governance. There needs to be the proper structure, of course, in place to make sure that information security is being floated up to the C-suite and to the board. And a lot of times in small and mid-sized businesses, that means that it's filtered and or delivered by the IT director or the CIO. And that's usually not a good idea. Um, I think everybody, I would hope everybody could agree that the CISO needs to have at the very least some sort of a direct path to the CEO and to the board. Um, but the CISO is going to help also with compliance too. Sometimes the engagements we have, that's how they start out. My first engagement as a virtual CISO, the organization needed to become PCI compliant because one of their biggest customers mandated it. And so they know what that was going to take. That's how we originally got engaged. Gap and maturity assessments. We don't do audits, and I will pass on audit work to um, those who do. I've actually done that for one organization who is displaying out there. Uh, I had an opportunity come to me to do a, an ISO 27799 audit, and after I looked up what that number was, it's healthcare applying, um, you probably know, about applying uh, the, the 27002 controls in healthcare. So it falls underneath, of course, the 27,000 series, but I don't do audits. My firm doesn't do audits. We're second line, not third line, and we're not going to produce anything that is an attestation of such for external clients. So I will pass that on, obviously, to, to folks that do do that who are, are strong in the field. Um, but we do perform gap and maturity assessments against any, any standards dependent upon, of course, what they want. Assessments and risk treatments. So I'm going to pause here for a second. This is a little bit of a divergence from the virtual CISO talk and just mention um, about risk assessments. Everybody's familiar with qualitative risk assessments, all the heat maps, the traffic light stuff, the red, yellow, and green, which is fine and good. And it, it, it is a methodology for transmitting um, a subject matter expert's opinion to those who actually need to make the business decision. But in the end, it's an opinion. And it's based on very loose math. If you have like a scale of one to five for likelihood and impact, you multiply them together, you're not multiplying anything of value. Quantitative risk assessments, on the other hand, produce a result that has value. And it's in the value that the board and the C-suite want to hear, and that's dollars. So um, my firm is one of 10 worldwide that are licensed currently at the moment to perform what's called open fair risk assessments. And we um, have gone down that path because we stress tested it and beta tested it about nine months ago and found the value just was, I've known the value of using FAIR. You can use FAIR internally for your organization without um, uh, incurring a license. But if you're using it for a, um, a, a way to make money, which is essentially what I do, um, you have to be licensed for it. But uh, the, the value in the communication of risk. So, for example, um, CISO comes up and says, you don't have a network access control system. That's a, that's a very high risk. Okay, that's great. Take it to the board. Maybe the CISO is ranked it as number one or number two. It's going to cost $40,000 a year to implement such a system. And you do a well-thought-out well quantitative risk assessment based on the uh, on FAIR, and you determine that, well, your exposure is actually only about $10,000 annualized. So you're basically spending $40,000 to solve a $10,000 risk exposure. That's what FAIR gives you. FAIR defines risk as cost exposure. So the reason why I bring this up is that uh, I'm trying very hard to, on a grassroots scale, to get interest for a FAIR chapter here in Nashville. 
Um, in order to do that, you need to go to the Fair Institute and register. You don't have, there's no cost, no obligation, but what we need is at least 30 people who are interested in the fair taxonomy. And uh, right now, we're not quite at 30. We, we're, we're more than 10, but we're not quite at 30. Anyway, I, dive, I, I digress. A little bit more about how a virtual CISO can help. Directs IT on controls, uh, security ops center interface. So again, being able to talk um, all of the uh, IT security stuff to senior leadership. Uh, business continuity, disaster recovery, leading tabletop exercises. That's one of the services we do um, on a fairly basis and training as well. Uh, we manage training programs for small and mid-sized businesses. Uh, SOC 2 audit support is a big deal. Um, it, a lot of times, again, talked about compliance. Uh, we help clients through their first SOC audit process, and usually it starts with a type 1 and then migrates to a type 2. Uh, on the flip side, vendor management, um, reviewing vendor SOC reports and understanding that. Uh, how many people have read a SOC report before, SOC 2? Okay, so it's a snoozer, right? But as you read them, as you get used to them, you know what sections to look at, what's important and what isn't. But if you place that in front of a business unit owner, um, they don't know what to do with it. It's just like, I mean, this is words, words. What are these criteria? I mean, you know, I don't know. And finally, client comfort, because just having somebody there that they know has their back uh, with regards to information security goes a long way. So... Um, engaging a virtual CISO is just really not too much different than engaging any other consultant. So I'll use the example today. Uh, we had some out over the internet and uh, we had our call this morning and we're going to provide a proposal to them based on their needs. We'll have some talk back and forth to determine scope. Um, and of course, they're going to vet us and they should. They should vet any of the folks that they're trying to engage. I always encourage, again, that if you look at a virtual CISO firm, make sure that they actually have experience as being CISOs. Um, and understanding not just the scope, but also the goals and immediate needs. And here's, here's, uh, here's where I sometimes lose business when I say this. Um, I, I'm, I'm apprehensive to engage with a potential client if I ask their goals and they say the only reason is because we need to be compliant. If that's the driver to start things, I'm okay with it. And, but I have turned away one client so far where that's all that they wanted. And from my perspective, see, I look at myself, I feel like I'm, I don't want to say I'm retired, but I'm in the second half of my career, maybe the second third, I guess. Um, and I just, I love what I do. And I don't want to spend time doing stuff that, that people don't really appreciate. So uh, fortunately, I have the, I have, I'm in a good my life right now where I can make those decisions. So I always ask about goals and immediate needs. And this client this morning, yes, they, they're, they're interested in making sure they're compliant with the, uh, they've got some healthcare um, touch points, so HIPAA is definitely up in there. Um, and, uh, uh, but, I, but I won't do it just for the sake of compliancy. And it starts with an initial request list. Again, this is like any other audit. You know, we need, we need to find out what you're it's very difficult, particularly when you're doing a, a short term, like a three-month risk assessment engagement, to, as much as possible, intimately understand the environment of the company that you're working for. But we try to do the best we can, first with the IRL, and um, the biggie is the uh, subject matter uh, uh, expert interviews. Um, we're 
Uh, we're getting close to the end of a quantitative risk assessment for a client in Atlanta, and uh, Monday and Tuesday of this week was just all interviews. And it's just amazing. After two months of reading stuff, or a month and a half of reading policies, looking at network diagrams, uh, looking at the tests and all, all of this stuff, understanding the history of the company, when you actually talk to them, that's when the things come out. And also, that's when the risks come out. We, we, uh, uh, it, it, you can't, you can't, you cannot go past that process. And then finally, the assessment. Now we'll produce a report. And, uh, so that's, that's what a virtual CISO on a project basis will do. But an ongoing basis, um, really, you need to um, have certain things in place. Probably the most important thing here is communications and meeting cadence. Um, I mandate that for all of our clients that, uh, whether it, actually, whether it's project or ongoing virtual CISO, that um, we have a meeting uh, once a week. Um, sometimes we'll change that to once every two weeks. If there's, you know, I'm not going to meet for the sake of meeting. Nobody wants to do that. Um, and it's amazing too. It's like when you engage a consultant, you can probably appreciate this. Um, the, the, uh, the meetings become a lot more focused and uh, because you're, you're pretty much paying the consultant for their time there. So it's not like you're just going to a meeting for the sake of having a meeting. So my final thoughts is the virtual CISO is part of your team. Yeah, so if you want to be a virtual CISO, don't think that you're going into an organization to tell people what to do. You are becoming part of their team. Well, thank you for viewing. Uh, the rest of the uh, session was a short uh, question and answer period, which uh, since we didn't have a audience mic, it didn't pick up on the video, and so it would have been difficult to hear. But certainly there were several questions that were engaging. And if you have any questions about... Um, what a virtual CISO does, uh, please uh, you know, contact me. Happy to answer, obviously. I love talking about this. This is my passion. Thanks again for watching. See you next week.